Chapter twenty seven of Neighbours by Florence Morse Kingsley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Harry Schwartz sat on a wooden bench in the Innisfield jail. It was Sunday. He heard the church bells ringing. After a while, he got up and looked out of the barred window high up in the wall. People were walking along the streets, and at first he did not associate himself with the fact that nearly everyone looked up at the jail as they walked along. Then a slow, painful crimson surged up into his brain, forcing the tears to his eyes. He went back to his bench and sat down. It seemed a long time since yesterday morning. He forced himself to go back to the moment when he had stood by the kitchen table, watching his mother cutting sandwiches for his lunch. Harry, she said, I wish you'd give up working way out there at the munitions plant. I worry about you dreadfully. Why should you worry, mother? It was a comment rather than a question. He knew well enough why his mother worried. It had all been talked over a score of times in the last month, but while she spread the thick slices of homemade bread with plenty of butter and added a generous filling of minced chicken, she told him all her reasons once more. Harry swallowed childishly as he remembered how good those sandwiches had tasted at noon. The conversation ended as usual. Harry fastened his lunchbox to the handle of his bicycle, kissed his mother goodbye and sped away. He intended to stop working in the munitions plant as soon as his building lot was paid for. After that he could borrow the money to build his home, but in the meantime his weekly pay envelopes bearing the name Lenoir worried him. At least once every week, generally on payday, Harry found himself going over the whole matter with himself. Lenoir was merely a French translation of Schwartz. He meant no harm by accepting Madeleine's smooth substitute for his harsh German name. He did his work honestly and well. What possible harm could there be in a small deception? There wasn't any harm in it but Harry guessed he'd better stop working at the plant before long. He hated to have his mother worry. Of course, it never showed her his pay envelope with the name Lenoir on it. He knew about what she would say, and very likely she would cry, which was worse. He had not seen Madeleine since the night he told her he loved her, though he had studied his French every night and had learned the inadequate word for wife. He got up from his bench again and went to the window. His head ached when he thought of Madeleine. Looking down into the familiar street, which somehow looked unfamiliar seen from this barred window, his thoughts went monotonously on. Nothing out of the ordinary had happened till afternoon. Everybody was working as usual. He saw Hobbs counting shells about half-past one, and at two o'clock he met him crossing the yard. Harry had not spoken to Hobbs since the night of the revival. Why should he speak to Hobbs? The fellow owed him an apology. It might have been half an hour later when he heard a slight explosion and saw a sudden flare-up of brilliant light in the filling shed. He was on his way to investigate the reason for this when somebody shouted to him to run. Suddenly the yard was full of men, running, cursing, shouting. Harry looked around for Hobbs. To his surprise, he found himself thinking of Hobbs with keen anxiety. Then came the first heavy explosion. Harry jumped upon his wheel, which he had left by the gate, and rode swiftly toward home. 
something hit him in the back of the head as he went but he didn't notice it he was thinking of his mother who would be worrying dreadfully he must let her know he was all right the church bells had stopped ringing by now harry wondered dully if his father and mother had gone to church he pictured them there in the fourth pew from the pulpit where he seemed to see himself a very little boy with yellow curls on his shoulder looking at deacon scrimger's shining bald head two seats in front sometimes when the sermon was long his mother would give him a pink and white peppermint drop out of her pocket he would grow very sleepy after the peppermint was eaten how comfortable his mother's smooth silken lap felt as he laid his head upon it and after that the preacher's voice seemed to come peacefully from a great way off and then it ceased altogether a queer hard lump in harry's throat ached intolerably as he thought about it his mother had cried when they took him away last night they had come for him just as he was going to bed after the nice warm bath she had insisted upon the covers of his bed were turned down and the breeze from the open windows fluttered the muslin curtains i'm glad it isn't any worse he told her when she exclaimed over the matted hair at the back of his head he had forgotten all about the something that hit him on his way out of the plant his mother called his father to look at the tiny scalp wound she wondered if there ought to be a stitch taken should they call the doctor it was just then that the doorbell rang sharply the sound of a key grating in the lock roused him he turned his head and saw his father coming into his cell followed by another man well harry my boy said his father with an affectation of great cheerfulness how did you make out last night harry made no answer he was looking at the other man he had known him by sight for a long time the man's name was calvin s northrup and he was a lawyer mr northrup returned harry's look sharply and then he rubbed his hands which were dry and bony mm, bad business very bad business he said and glanced around the cell mm, water coming in through the ceiling mm, roof wants repairing well now let's look into this business he sat down on the wooden chair and again stared at harry i've engaged mr northrup to defend you harry explained mr schwartz just so just so confirmed the lawyer and now then don't incriminate yourself young man and he wagged a long yellow finger at harry don't forget what i tell you the prosecution will likely put you through the third degree i'm told they're preparing their case for the preliminary hearing which may take place tomorrow but until you're proved guilty i'm not guilty said harry with some violence i didn't blow up the plant why should i that's just the line of defence calvin s northrop intends to follow approved the lawyer why should you blow up the plant exactly <clears throat> now you'll have to be careful what you say they'll try to catch you with all sorts of tricky questions they'll endeavour to mix you up bewilder you but you just stick to that one statement you don't know anything about the cause of the explosion you went to your work as usual always faithful didn't hear or see anything out of the common until but i did interrupted harry i saw mr northrop's active eyebrows and waving forefinger halted harry's eager explanation 
why shouldn't i tell asked harry bewildered i saw young man you didn't see anything and you didn't hear anything until after mark my word carefully until after you left the plant you got out at the first alarm now then paste that in your hat mr northrop wrinkled his lean face into the semblance of a smile fact is he said sinking his voice to a whisper you've got yourself into a devilish fix young fellow i'd a little rather your father had gone elsewhere for counsel but seeing your family has been resident in our town for a considerable while and you yourself bear a good general reputation calvin s northrop has undertaken the case but you'll have to follow his advice to the letter or he'll drop it harry's father wiped the perspiration from his forehead guess you'd better do as he says harry he said huskily mr calvin s northrop ought to know what's calvin s northrop does know exploded the lawyer expanding his narrow chest my experience as a criminal lawyer stands behind every word i have said let me tell you last year i was sent for from boston to defend a young man accused of murder in the first degree i advised him as i have advised you did he profit by it no did you get him off sir inquired mr schwartz after a heavy pause mr northrop eyed his client with a frown the accused was as guilty as hell he stated i saw it the minute i laid eyes on him it stuck out all over him and he would talk about himself couldn't stop him executed last week not my fault mr northrop glanced sideways at harry as if to note the effect of his words now maybe you'll watch your step he added jocularly of course that alias of yours is a bad bit of evidence and i'm afraid we can't disprove it name on company's blanks in your own handwriting employment clerk ready to swear it was signed in his presence clerk might be proved insane though i shall if forced to it prove you insane insanity in the family and that sort of thing and mind you don't deny it either of you harry's face reddened see here he said thickly you've got another guess coming about me i didn't blow up the plant but i did sign under the name of lenoir i did it because they weren't taking on germans i'm an american but i've got a german name you may as well give up my case right now i shan't try to lie out of anything i've done harry said mr schwartz in a broken voice you ought to be thinking of your poor mother she she's sick harry i didn't tell you before but the young man turned violently upon his father you think i did it he cried in a shocked voice come come my lad don't get excited exhorted mr northrop we'll do the best we can for you depend upon it but we're going to leave you to think it over yes to um, reconsider you're no fool i can see that now mr schwartz we've plenty to do nothing to be gained by further talk with the accused 
Harry did not look at his father as the two men turned to go out. The key grated in the lock. It seemed to be grating in his soul. He realised now that half unconsciously he had been waiting for his father's strong interference. Of course everybody would know he was innocent of the monstrous charge against him. He'd go home to his Sunday dinner, somewhat soiled with the disgrace of his night in jail, somewhat sheepish under the curious eyes of the neighbours, but ready to laugh ruefully over the unhappy blunder of the local police. The lump in his throat hurt him cruelly as he thought of his mother. He wondered dully if she'd found his pay envelope marked with the name Lenoir. Why hadn't he told her all about it? The town clock struck twelve after a dreary hour spent in pacing up and down the narrow limits of his cell. The jailer brought him his dinner on a battered tin plate, and somebody, it might have been another prisoner, tossed in a newspaper. It contained an account of the explosion. Harry saw a villainous picture of himself under the big headlines, German plot unearthed, chief conspirator working in Merck's plant under assumed name. Other arrests may follow. Oh, he forced himself to read the page, while the Sunday dinner on the battered tin plate developed rims of solidified grease about its slabs of meat and dingy mounds of vegetables. Harry drank a cup of muddy coffee and read on. He saw himself described as a big, hulking fellow with a sinister eye. He'd been for some time in the pay of the German government. His expenditures proved it. Short work would doubtless be made of the Schwartz case, there being not a shadow of doubt of guilt of the accused. The keeper looked at Harry with a sort of respect when he came to take away the untasted dinner. "'Some job for a young fellow like you,' he observed. "'But of course you didn't do it by your lonesome. "'I'd peach on my pals higher up if I was you.' "'I didn't do it,' said Harry wearily. "'No?' <laughs> "'Nice picture they got of you in the paper. "'Say, I guess you'll find your appetite by tomorrow. "'Better eat while you can get real victuals. "'They won't treat you so well upstate.' When Harry failed to respond to this playful allusion to his undoubted fate, the friendly official chuckled. "'Take it from me. You innocent guys wins the bun. Say, you got a real baby stare, ain't you? But don't you try no hunger strike on yours, truly. I got your number all right, young fella.' It was three o'clock in the afternoon when Miss Malvina Bennett called. Harry had abandoned his introspective studies and was gazing out of the window at the procession of Sunday pedestrians. He'd ceased to notice their upward glances at his window. It seemed a long time since he'd talked with his father and Mr Northrop. Of course, everybody had read the papers. He turned a lacklustre eye upon Miss Bennet as she hesitated before his door. "'Sweetheart to see you,' announced his jailer facetiously. I ain't going to look. You go long, Ed Lucas, Miss Bennett exhorted him. I ain't seen an awful sight of you since you used to steal apples off my sweeten tree. I guess you was about the meanest boy in town in them days, and you ain't changed much except your whiskers. Upon the retreat of the discomfited official, Miss Malvina went up to Harry and laid her hands upon his shoulders. I ain't a-goin' to pity you, Nan, she said briskly. 
If there's anything I hate on top of the ground, it's the poison sentiment folks call sympathy. But I will say this. I believe in you right down to the ground, Harry. You may have made a mistake. Most folks do one time or another. But I know you're all right. Ma Bennett thinks the same as me. And so does Madeline de Say and her pa. Harry's unhappy face brightened. Oh, does she? he asked eagerly. Oh, meaning Ma Bennett, of course, chuckled Miss Malvina. Now you just sit down, and you and me'll take counsel together, as it says in the Psalms. But first off, ain't you hungry? I'll bet Miss Lucas can't cook a decent meal of victuals to save her life. When the two of them got appointed to this here jail, I says to Ma, malefactors, I says, will get all that's coming to em just from eating Liza Jane Lucas's cooking. Anyhow, I brought you some ham sandwiches and a lemon pie and some of Madeline's gators. She brought em over to me this morning a purpose. But when I come in and ask for you, I had to laugh. What you got in your basket, Miss Malvina, says Ed Lucas, kind of important. We have to be careful, he says, what goes into desperate criminals. Well, Ed, I says to him, I guess you done well to take up your residence in jail on your own hook. It's where you belong, I says. As for desperate criminals, I says, I ain't got no dealings with them. I've come to see Harry Schwartz, and I brought him something fit to eat, knowing full well he wouldn't get no relish and vittles here. And with that, I opens up my basket and showed him this here pie. <laughs> oh, land, you could fairly see Ed's mouth a-watering. That's right. Just you pitch into them sandwiches. You don't want to get all run down and tuckered out. I tell you, you've got to keep a stiff upper lip. It's going to come out all right. Miss Malvina beamed upon Harry like sun upon the frozen ground. In the generous warmth of her friendly presence, he swallowed the aching lump in his throat and ate the sandwiches to the last crumb, and likewise the pie with its delicately fragrant lemon filling. That tastes like mother's pie, he said wistfully. Mm, Tis, confirmed Miss Malvina. I went in to see your ma. I heard she was just prostrate, and twas an awful shock having her boy took off the way they done. There wa'n't a mite of excuse for it neither. Twas a measly boss and detectives and the local police. They feel kind of cheap if they can't arrest somebody. Most anybody'll do so's they get their names in print. Reminds me of an old dog we used to have at home. He'd chase a squirrel till he was all beat out. Then he'd fetch a stick to par and lay it down a front of him, tail a wagon, so much as to say, Oh, ain't I some dog? Your ma's feeling better. But I says to her, For pity's sake, don't go over there and cry over Harry. It'll take the tuck all out of him, I says. So she's a-going to brace up, same as I told her, and I guess you'll see her by tomorrow. Oh, eat a gator, do. Madeline'll be awful pleased when I tell her. <clears throat> They're too pretty to eat, protested Harry, sighing over the delicate scalloped cakes. I suppose she, she must be... 
Oh, she says it's all her fault, interrupted Miss Bennett. She give you that name in the beginning for a kind of joke on her pa. And I can tell you, I gave him a real good going over this morning. If you'd asked me, I says to him, I could have told you first off that Harry Schwartz was about the nicest boy in this here town. And the simple idea of trying to keep a sweet posy of a girl like Madeline from having bows. Why, I says, you might as well try to keep the summer from coming right along after June 1st. Tain't nature, I says to him. He's a real nice man, even if he is a foreigner. And as for Madeline, well, if she ain't peaches and cream, I don't know who is. She'll never look at me again, sighed Harry. Oh, you can just bet she will. Madeline's got plenty of grit and gumption, and she can see through a hole in the wall, even if the police is blinder and bats. Now, you just chirk right up, Harry. The Lord ain't forgot you, and we ain't neither. Miss Malvina fumbled in her pocket, which for greater safety was hung amid the folds of her petticoat. "'Land, I hope I ain't mislaid it,' she murmured. "'Oh, no, here it is. It's a note from Madeline. Oh, "'Thinks I, I won't mention it first off, for fear you wouldn't relish your victuals thinking about it. "'Maybe it'll pass the time away studying it out. "'She'd have come right along with me, but her pa wa'n't willing, "'and I don't know as I blame him none. "'You wouldn't want Ed Lucas a-gawping at her.' Harry's big brown hand trembled as he reached for the small envelope bearing his name. Miss Malvina picked up her basket. Now, don't you get downhearted, was her final exhortation. If there's anything in holding the thought, like Mrs. Reverend Pettibone, her as twas for Laura Rice, says, you'll be out of here before you know it. Everybody at them wag a jaw is praying for you to beat the cars. Now, Ed Lucas, I'm a-goin'. I can see you feel all swelled up with pride to be lockin' and unlockin' your feller creatures like they was circus animals. But you want to remember, pride goes before a fall. And not so far ahead of it, neither. Harry did not hear the objectionable sound of the key in the lock on this occasion. He was reading Madeline's letter in the light from his barred window. It was worth going to jail for, that letter. Harry read it, and then folded it carefully, and bestowed it in the breast pocket of his coat, where it appeared to diffuse a roseate glow through his entire being. But it must needs be read again, and yet again, while quite unnoticed the town clock struck four, and after an insignificant period, five, and yet Madeleine had only written this. Mon ami. I have great mad to myself, parce you suffer. Me, I have weeped some tears from a past time when I see you. I explain all to mon père. He say to me, Madeleine, you are more simple comme une enfant. I translate for you to say, I know nothing no more than a baby. <laughs> I am most triste all times, especially when I cause to bake les petits gâteaux au raisin de Corinth. You translate by it with teeth les gâteaux, which I send you by a very good neighbour, Miss Malvina. 
funny word neighbor i look for him in dictionnaire all times i study my dictionnaire very severe all words astonishing like wife i achieve more quick than scat beyond i am also arduous to my grammar anglaise and meditate such verb like i love you you love me we one another love some elegant nice verb i have now to desist from write i make to come to you most respectful regard very much friendly adieu madeleine grandfather schwartz a package of choice frankfurter sausages and pretzels under his arm was obliged to announce his presence with more than his usual explosiveness before the prisoner turned from his window where he appeared deeply engrossed with an insignificant scrap of paper hello grandfather said harry almost cheerfully vigate son responded the old man with a cautious glance into the corridor how you vas eh harry carefully bestowed the letter in the left-hand breast pocket of his coat i guess i'm all right grandfather he replied with a notable access of gloom as right as i can be in this hole ah too bad growled the old man shaking his head he sat down heavily on the bench a bad business he muttered mm. after a longish pause during which he gazed at harry with an odd grimace he added i see your father son he tell me harry stared at the floor i guess they'll find out they're mistaken before long he offered miserably you bet agreed his grandfather with unlooked-for buoyancy though i myself find i was wrong with you heinrich you are a good boy he pulled harry down to a seat beside him on the bench ah let me look at you heinrich harry submitted to his grandfather's arm about his shoulders i'm glad if you aren't ashamed of me grandfather he murmured father said i thought he didn't seem to understand ah he make me sick he have no verstandnis my son heinrich the old man stooped his booming whisper to harry's ear you will not go to prison son nein you have learned much to me attentive eh good boy harry stared at his grandfather a doubt of his complete sanity crossing his mind his mother had succumbed under the shock of his arrest and now too evidently the old man had been crazed by it he must attempt to divert his attention have you seen mother today he asked anxiously old heinrich shrugged his shoulders yeah he drawled and shook his head she is unser rechnungsfähig harry was silent he wasn't quite sure what unser rechnungsfähig meant not a mutter for a deutsch helden you will see son what i do i bet you from our kaiser obtain eyes and a kreutz you know what i mean nein ach you are one big fool heinrich you speak no dutch well i learn you one word eisernes kreutz what you call iron cross so you make one big victory for your vaterland heinrich 
Harry was now miserably certain that his grandfather had lost his reason. He wriggled uneasily in the strong grip of the old man's arm about his shoulders. "'I guess you'd better go home, grandfather,' he said remorsefully. "'I hope things will be cleared up by tomorrow. "'Of course you know I didn't.' "'Sure, Heinrich. No place to talk. I know, I know. I go away, and you see what I do. In Boston we have friends. I tell what I know about my brave uncle Heinrich Schwartz. You will see what happened. Harry stared. The unnatural complacency of his grandfather troubled him. What do you mean? he asked abruptly. What I say? nodded the senior Schwartz, clapping his grandson resoundingly on the back. Harry's face whitened slowly. He was beginning at last to get the drift of the conversation. Do you mean you think... You believe I did it? he shouted. For God's sake, Grandfather! The old man stiffened into a rigid military attitude. You have gained a big victory for Germany, nicht wahr? he asked in a hoarse whisper. You blow up the wicked factory, eh? The big veins swelled on Harry's forehead. He clenched his brown hands. But when at last he answered the proud old man, who had never forgotten the land of his birth, his voice was gentle. Grandfather, he said slowly, I'm an American. You don't know what it means to be an American. But try to think, Grandfather. I couldn't commit a crime which might have murdered hundreds of people. I couldn't. His head drooped as he perceived the fierce question which leapt to his grandfather's eyes. I ought never to have worked in the accursed place, he murmured humbly. It was for the money I did it. Yeah, growled the old man. For money you did it. <laughs> Ach, you are an American. And I think you are a hero. Without another look at the boy who bore his name, Old Schwartz went heavily away. Harry heard the key turn in the lock. End of chapter 27